0: One of the things i've talked about many times when it comes to the construction of fiction is sometimes you have a star wars and sometimes you have a jurassic park i'll probably come up with a proper lorium for this someday because this has been coming up a few times the idea is with star wars a new hope they got lucky now don't mistake me there was some obvious very clear and present uh, talent skill passion involved but the point is If you looked at the construction of Star Wars, you'd say, that's not going to succeed. That's that's, that's not going to go anywhere. Specifically referring to A New Hope, obviously. And if you remember, and I've talked about this before, very few people had faith in it. Then you had something like Jurassic Park, which had all the pieces in place to make this amazing work, right? This episode is the former. This episode had a very troubled production that was just kind of bumbling along and barely know what it was doing, and then it started off as this other story, and it was actually pitched much earlier on, but then they didn't know what to do with it, and they wanted to do this thing at Corks, and they're like, okay, well, we don't have a background to it. Maybe we add the Nog thing, because we just thought of that, because that wasn't planned at all. Well, wait, maybe we make the whole episode about Nog, but how do we do it at Quark's? Well, maybe we do it at VIX and it's just it's it just kind of stumbled its way into being. One of my favorite episodes of D Space Nine. This episode is really, really good. And re-watching has helped convince me that it's funny. This is one of the only episodes of Star Trek ever to really focus, to be about C List characters. Think about that for a second. Oh, we've had episodes with Nog and with Vic, and we've had episodes that kind of focus on lower decks kind of characters, like lower decks. But even Lower Decks, in many ways, was actually kind of a wharf episode, if you'll remember. But in this episode, this is all about Nog and Vic, with a couple of little ancillary bits with Jake, Esri, and that's kind of it, actually. <laughs> it's just, I hate to, to gush about this, but it's just such an unusual approach. In fact, one of the things Aaron Eisenberg said was how surprised he was they were willing to give him this, that they trusted him to shoulder an episode by himself. Now, that trust was very well placed, and of course it was. Nog's amazing. Aaron Eisenberg was amazing. And they did a really, really good job of this. It's just interesting, because this episode probably shouldn't have been as good as it was. I know Moore very much pushed for this episode, and I don't blame him. This feels like his kind of thing. It's really big on consequence. And that, I think, is probably the first reason why it it appeals so much to me and appealed so much to Moore. If you remember, one of the things I pointed out that made Moore leave the Voyager staff, like, weeks after he joined the Voyager staff, was because he felt like they were ignoring consequence of actions and events, and he felt like that was insulting and dismissive to the show and to the audience. And I agree. I like Voyager, but I still agree with him on that point. It doesn't help that he joined around Equinox, which was just... equinox of all things anyways <clears throat> so cisco shows up of course cisco shows up they're all there nog's one of theirs never mind the actual familial connections with Lita and rom they're all embracing him but we get our first hint that something's wrong when Lita mentions he hasn't been responding to her letters first note can i just say that that's kind of awesome that Lita would be the kind of person who would reach out to and, and write letters to Nog on a regular basis while he's recovering. Because that's just the kind of person she is, you know? It's just a nice little touch. And so they're all like, ah, and it, O'Brien's there, and Odo's there, and Keir's there. Worf is there in the background. There's this bit where Nog, he, he's just kind of down dowered and doured. he's not sure what he's doing. But then Sisko says, there's nothing on this except for medical leave. Except, and as he says except, Nog, who's just kinda like, uh, looks up excited, like there's something? Something I could do. I remember my discussion back during Uh After Image was the episode about how uh, Oh god, I can't think of his name Garrick. About how Garrick was uh, I have an itch on my lip. That is the weirdest place to have an itch. <laughs> about how Garrick was try, was just had to do work to try and keep himself steady, you know? And I gave that whole speech about doing the dishes. I was just suddenly struck by that when when I looked at Nog, and I was like, oh, God, he really wants something to do, doesn't he? Nope. Bed, rest, and recovery. Yay. Understandable. Nog is not fit for duty. I, I mean, I don't mean that to be unkind, but he is not fit for duty. So any kind of real work? Nuh-uh. Interesting point. Uh, Jake mentions the idea of Nog becoming, you know, the first Ferengi captain in Starfleet, and Nog isn't actually on the career, uh, the officer track, near as I can tell. But I bet he would want to do that. And of course, in STO, he did become a captain, so that's awesome. And he was awesome in STO as part of some really cool quest arc, so that's cool. Sorry, I'll discuss it at the end of the episode. Anyway, so he's very cold, very quiet, very distant, just has his cane. You know, he's just got that, it's that thing, you know that thing. I just don't feel like talking. So, uh, what you been up to? Nothing. When someone is just, in terms of tone and body posture and, and everything they're doing, they're just shutting down any attempt at real communication, right? So he's just Kung ing Esri and everyone else. And uh, I have to say something. So he mentions how sick he is of talking about his feelings, which means they mention that he has had people talking to him and diagnosing him for the better part of weeks. I think it was three weeks, I believe, is the amount of time they mentioned. Better part of a month. I don't have a lot of faith in Starfleet security, but I have a lot of faith in Starfleet medical, and I am astonished that their medical department is this incompetent as to not figure out what the hell's going on here. This is an extremely clear-cut case of post-traumatic stress shell- and, and possibly shell shock. I know the former. I'm pretty sure of the latter. This is someone who is going through some stuff, and everything we hear about how they treated him was, was like they were first-year med students, for God's sakes. I mean, really? Although Esri, she flip-flops on her competency. She's actually pretty good most of the episode, with one notable exception, which I'll cover when we get there. But nobody reached him. All these trained professionals, people who are literally... We know a lot about how to reach out to a person now. Imagine with all of the advances in medical science and psychological profiling and understanding, and profiling is the wrong word... uh, patterning that they would know by the time Star Trek comes around. And surely someone would be able to actually reach out to him, right? I mean, if nothing else, in a distant form. Like, maybe nobody there on the station he was at really knew how to reach him. But then they contact Starfleet Medical back on Earth. And they say, hey, we got this case. And they're like, yo, do this. And then, bam. No, nobody reaches him. Now, As much as this upsets me, I do have to admit the headcanon I have always had is that the Starfleet counselors and, you know, psychological health, mental health people are so woefully unprepared for the effects of the Dominion War that they basically don't know what they're doing. Like they legitimately do not know how to comprehend or process these things because they've never really had a war like this before in the entire history of the entire Federation. As I've said before, we had the Romulan War, which was different. The Klingon War, which was brutal, but much shorter and different. And that's kinda it. Every other conflict was much smaller scale, much more tightly focused, and much less devastating and long-term affecting than the Dominion War. Yeah. Anyways. So. He starts playing the song over... And over and over again. I'm going to go and be real for just a second. And probably for a few minutes after, towards the end of the episode. Because um, some of you have probably already guessed or already know that I myself have gone through PTSD twice. And as a direct consequence of that, I see a lot of the things that Nog does and I just find myself nodding. There's a song. I still know the song. I'm not going to tell you because you're just going to make fun of me. It's a stupid song. Okay, I'll tell you. It's the Fortress song from New Super Mario Bros. Wii. It's just, it's stuck in there. And it was stuck in there because for reasons I don't actually fully understand to this day, it was running through my head when some bad things were happening to me. And so it got stuck in there. It was like, it was something that you just kind of grab. Like, okay, this, this is the lifeline, right? Don't, don't let that song stop playing. Just kind of follow the pattern, follow the beat, follow the tempo. Just just use it as a way to cope, right? I don't even know how to explain it. But the way he's doing this, it makes perfect sense. And Jake is, of course, flipping out because Nog's been listening to this song nonstop, too loudly, by the way, to the point where you could hear it in the other room. Mm-hmm. Although, I've always suspected that they don't have enough soundproofing on Deep Space Nine. Not like it is on, you know, an actual proper uh, Starfleet ship. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. So, he's finally like, okay. Okay, I'm going to go to the Suite. And he has a flashback to everything going wrong. And he, there's just this moment of, doesn't really know how to deal with it. Um, and he goes up to the Suite and requests the song. Fifteen variants of it. Like I said, I feel you, Nog. And uh, as he's doing so, uh, they do a nice little bit. They show a flashback that's actually not a flashback. It's not not footage from the Siege of AR-558. It's actually brand new footage that they filmed just for this scene of Bashir coming over and Nog listening to the song. And we understand the the connective point now. So... Nog starts talking about what's going on, and... He admits that his leg hurts all the time. Which is funny, because I understand that for unrelated reasons. I have nerve damage uh, in my left leg. And, but in his case, it's different. It's a psychosomatic thing. He's, he's well, duh, right? So he's like, okay, I, I don't know what to do. And, and people just will not listen to me. And people are just telling me it's fake and telling me it's my head. And I'm telling them that it hurts I, th- I think it says, actually, says left leg, isn't it? That's funny. Anyways, and, and, and he's like, "Well, okay, I believe you." So that's the first step in someone actually making any connection with him by actually believing him about his foot leg hurting. <laughs> so he decides to live in the hollow suite. Now, this is interesting in its own right because this is a surprisingly gray and. Uh, I'm trying to get up with this. There's a lot to be said here. This is not as ne- neatly cut and dry as it could be. And I want to do this uh, some service. So I'm actually going to have to ask you one moment. I'm sorry. I have to deal with this really quick. Sorry about that. You know, some people say I'm unprofessional for not cutting those out. I, I kind of do that on purpose at this point. Because while I do want to be professional, I wear the suit and, t- and, and you know, the, the outfit, and I try to make my presentation as good as I possibly can for a reason, I'm also a person, and I, that's kind of the thing I want to go for. And as a person, let me just say that the idea of being on the Hollow Suite full-time and just living there makes a lot of sense. But only in the short term. Think of it as a holiday, really. You go someplace where you can just set it up and just just live there. Sleep there, eat there, walk there, play there, whatever, for, you know, a week, maybe? Maybe a few days? I don't know. It depends on what kind of off time you get. That makes a lot of sense to me. How many of you have ever been through some crap in your life? You know, maybe not to the level of PTSD, which is good, because the less people experience that, the better, but to the point where you have been through some crap, right? And imagine having gone through some crap. You just needed something to recoup, right? So maybe you played a video game, or maybe you watched some Star Trek. Or maybe you hung out with your friends. Maybe you went out swimming. That's what my mom used to do. That's how she used to deal with work stress. She would just go, and she'd just swim, and swim as hard as she could until she was exhausted, and that helped her to get through it, right? We all have our things. The holodeck, I've I've said so many times, the holodeck is an astonishingly multifaceted tool. It has so many uses that they barely touch on in Star Trek. This is a use that I am amazed no one thought of before now. You know why? Because they're idiots. Because this is taking Nog away from the source of his stressor so that he can at least get to the point of building up enough tolerance and, and internal mental strength, emotional strength, to the point where when he then is reintroduced to the stressor, he can deal with it. This is the point. Someone suffering from what Nog is suffering does not need a simple solution. He does not teach someone to say, it's all in your head. He doesn't need drugs. He doesn't need someone to just be like, ah, just go back to work. No, he needs a complex solution. And that's exactly what's being presented here. He is offered to go into this holodeck. And... As a consequence, he's also going to be interacting with Vic, who has an advanced AI. I'll talk about him in a bit. Don't worry. Vic is excellent in this episode too. And he's going to have the ability to use this as a way, as, as, as a way to cope, as a literal crutch. Remember, I, I often speak of crutches as if they're a bad thing, but that's usually because when I'm saying so, I'm saying you're leaning on it too hard. But you need a crutch when your leg's broken, right? or you need a wheelchair or whatever, and that's exactly what the holodeck's going to serve in this function, is a temporary solution to help strengthen the soul of Nog to the point where he will be able to actually try and deal with this crap. Do you know how much I wish I had had a holodeck back then? (laughs) Uh, And at every other point in my life, but still. (sighs) So, Ezri... I like that Ezri and Bashir are the ones who back the holodeck plan. I do. You know why? I'm trying to think of a good analogy, and I'm failing at it. How many times have you ever thought something, and you've just thought, i I got to keep that to myself, uh, because there's a natural public bias against it. Now, that bias... Fan fiction. There we go. Perfect example. How many of you have ever written fan fiction? I have, obviously. How many of you have ever, especially in the modern era, felt ashamed or embarrassed to admit to someone that you write fan fiction? Because fan fiction has such a negative connotation in modern culture that you don't even want to let people know you do that. If you do, they'll be like, Oh, and they'll either jokingly or seriously assume the worst. Oh, you're doing, I'm not going to actually say it because I don't want to discuss how bad fan fiction gets, but you get the point. You know, all the jokes. All, all, all the, the mockery, all the disgusting things that happen, or the terrible writing things that happen. Just people being like, oh yeah, that's what you're writing, right? And it's like That sort of automatic judgment is in many ways an impediment to actual societal construction and proper communication between individuals. And this scene where they talk about him going a holiday is a perfect example of that. What does Rom, his father, say about it? He's a one-legged crazy man. And the best part is it's kind of played for laughs, like it usually is. It takes the medical professionals to say, no, this is actually a decent idea, guys, To in order, in order to slam down all of the mockery and and just derision that's going around that meeting room. It's actually kind of upsetting to see that, because I see that in real life a lot. I bet some of you are old enough to remember when playing video games at all was the same, was a topic of such derision and mockery. I bet some of you remember when watching Star Trek was such a topic. Oh, yeah, jeez, she's What, like a crazy gonna go watch Star Trek. Yeah, go ahead, nerd. Get a life. Remember that? Because I do. For me, give me for getting upset. This is a good episode, don't mistake me. But it actually pisses me off how... Little his family is actually there for him when he really needs them to be. So, he goes on to Holosuite. Quick aside, I've, usually I point out how long Vic is singing a given song because I feel like this, they spend a little bit too, time, too much time in previous episodes just pausing the episode to do a musical and then unpausing it. It works a lot better in this episode. Most of the songs either are directly related or play over something happening, like a montage or Nog dealing with something or whatever, right? So for the most part, it works a lot better on this episode. just wanted to comment on that really quick. So, Vic understands the problem, and as a sympathetic, caring soul, he's like, yeah, okay, I got you. No problem. I'll help out. That's what it's programmed to do, right? So he gives him he gives him something to do. And Nog starts watching the, the movie, and he, he, he brings up the idea of the books, and, you know, actually managing the books. I love how Nog gives the automatic reaction, I'll just have the computer give you more money. And he's like, nah, I'd, I'd rather just do it myself. And Nog doesn't even argue that one. Why would he, after all? And, of course, he gives him the fragile cane, which is one of the more brilliant things he could have done there. Don't put too much weight on it. Okay. In short... What he's effectively doing is lying to tell the truth. There is no limp there. Not really. And what Nog needs to do is to understand and acknowledge that so that he can then realize what he needs to do to fix the core problem. Now, that's actually a gray area in its own right, because whether or not that pain is real or not is is actually more a matter of conjecture than reality. But the point being... The point being, by forcing Nog to make deliberate conscious effort to not put too much weight on it, forces him to not limp as much, which forces him to then acknowledge how little he needs to limp. So, then Jake comes in with Neshra, or whatever his name is, I forget her name, forgive me. His date, nice Bajoran girl, and Nog... What we see is Nog has been very cold and quiet and distant to everyone, except Vic. He's much more, well, he's much more Nog around Vic. But then Jake and her come in, and she she hits all the wrong buttons without ever meaning to. She is basically completely innocent here, and innocently provokes him in exactly the wrong way. This then leads to Jake standing up for his date, with good reason, I might add, which leads to Nog then physically attacking Jake. This is how far gone Nog has gotten. Now, thank God that the Federation is a little bit more understanding about these kind of things than real life. I guarantee you, someone who's going through some crap, especially... A military veteran who's going through PTSD who ends up assaulting someone in a public place like that? They're not going to get the help they need. They're going to be locked up. Thankfully, the Federation is a little bit better about at least that one thing. Thank God. I'm sorry. I have a very, very poor opinion of how mental illnesses are treated, at least here in the States in the modern era. Please forgive me it's been a topic of some interest to me for many years uh mostly because of my aunt and one of my girlfriends actually she was in a, her her career path was taking care of people with mental disabilities and so as a natural consequence i kind of got into the field and i discovered just how bad it is <laughs> oh jeez don't look into it if you ever want to stay non depressed good god i'm sorry i'm segueing and i'm segueing because it's kind of hard to talk about this because He's thrown out of the club, and when Vic comes in later, he is much more relaxed to Vic. Again, naturally, smoothly. I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So then we have our first real montage, and Vic comments on how unusual it is that he feels tired. What then happens is a long period of time, I don't remember if they say exactly how long, but it is quite a while, with him staying in the casino... Working, working in the casino. And, and being a member of the, of, not the casino, excuse me, the club. They haven't built the casino. Designing the casino, running the books, all this fun stuff. Esri makes a piss poor attempt at trying to insist that he has to leave. It's the one time where Esri does something wrong, (laughs) incorrect, excuse me, in this episode. So, the title song plays over the montage. I pointed that out. And there's this actually really nice bit. I noticed, and I wrote down in my notes, that he's not really using the cane. In fact, I wrote, barely use cane, is what I wrote, because I do shorthand. And uh, what's funny is the episode calls attention to it. Esri comes in, and she sees him, and then the camera zooms in on his legs, and the lack of cane, and then she's like, okay, and then she leaves. Just on the off chance you missed it. Nice little touch there. And later on, Ram and Lita come in, and he is much better around them. But, well, this gets into the problem. See, the point of a crutch is you use it when you need it, and you stop when you don't. This is when the episode pushes past recovery into, um, I guess lapsing is really the word here, but dependence is really what I mean. At this point, Nog no longer needs the cane any more than he needs the holodeck, because he has pushed past his initial issues. Those initial problems that were preventing him from even addressing the problem. Right? Again, pull back, recover, push forward. So, the best way this is explained is the scene where Rom and Lita come in to meet him. And they're just there to say hi. And Rom's Ram's all excited. He got a promotion. And, and Nog's like, oh, yeah, we should throw a party. Naturally, Nog assumes they're on the holodeck. And by on the holodeck, I mean in the club. You'll notice Nog at no point really treats it as if it's a program or a game anymore. He has officially immersed himself too far and that's the important part, going too far. If you play video games or watch Star Trek or go swimming to recover, that's fine. It's when you do it too much. It's when you go too far. That's when things get problematic. And to be perfectly blunt, I think at least part of the social bias issues that come around with certain things, like Star Trek and video games, tend to happen because of the people who go too far. Because naturally, those are the ones who get the news attention. Those are the ones who get plastered all over the place on media reports or on newspapers, back when those existed. Right? So Nog naturally acts as if the club's a real place. He even says goodbye to his parents, who parent and step-parent, but really, his parents, who he hasn't seen in a while, because a high roller just came in, and i got to go deal with that. Think about that. So Esri then comes in and proves that, yes, she does actually deserve her degree by, well, if we're being honest, too overtly, but making Vic realize what's going on here. Because Vic has been so swept up into it that it's never occurred to him. After all, Vic has become sentient and sapient. Told you I'd talk about this later. Remember that? I brought it up. I argued that Vic was not sentient and sapient. The reason why was because he didn't have two of the elements necessary to, to have droid effect fully take into place. But now, now he's been interacting with Nog and the rest of the crew, and he has been running constantly for days or weeks or months or however long it is. It's, it's a while. He's been running for a while, nonstop. Now he has what it takes to have droid effect start to kick in. Not as much as the Doctor, who, I have argued several times, didn't actually have droid effect. Basically, the Doctor, in my opinion, over on Voyager, wasn't fully sentient and sapient at the beginning. He developed into that, in my opinion. But, this is now the beginning of Vic being able to develop into that. This actually, in my opinion, makes Nog's final gift to him, running the program 26-7, to be actually kind of awesome. Because now it means not only has he had a chance to grow into a sentient, sapient being, he has the chance to continue to grow. That it's not just being cut off. So Esri convinces him of what's going on here. And Vic's like, alright. And the really emotionally wonderful part about this is that Vic, who now understands what it means to have something other than mere existence, other than simply surviving now understands how precious and powerful and valuable that is, and thus offers it in return to Nog. I'm shutting down so you can go live. Computer and program. Cool. Nog tries to get the program running, because what else can he do? He's scared. Did you know... Actual military combat vets reached out to Aaron Eisenberg after this, saying that his performance was spot on. I agree. Because I know exactly what that feels like. Not in combat. I've never been in combat. But I know what that feels like to be scared. To see a gun in a completely different light to un- it, it, it's hard to properly explain. E- Nog even tries to explain it. He says, um, "I, I, I, I was eager to prove myself when we went into war. I was excited about the possibility of 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 being a proving that I could be a good soldier, right? And I saw a lot of combat. I saw a lot of people hurt and I saw a lot of people die. But then I got shot." And all of a sudden, Bashir's telling me they have to remove the leg, and it just comes crashing right into my face. I could die. I was going to lose my leg. I got shot. I never thought anything would happen to me. Psychologically speaking, most people tend to live in a bit of a bubble. And I'm not saying that as a negative thing. I don't mean the blinders thing. That's different. The blinders thing is separate. What I mean by a bubble is we tend to exist with the knowledge and security that we will continue to exist. We kind of have to. If every, sing- if, if every single per- person in the world's bubble was just popped all of a sudden, I'm not sure society would continue to function. If people understood just how deadly and dangerous simply being on a daily basis is, how little it takes to lose everything through no fault of your own, To feel that kind of thing in person is different. And that's exactly what Nog says as he's breaking down. He, he says, I never thought it would happen to me. And now, all of a sudden, if this could happen, if I could get shot, if I could lose my leg, and I could die, and I don't want to go out there, and I don't want to die. And it is Vic who has to tell him, you are dying here now. Not in the technically sense. In the sense that you are leeching out your life to exist. Survival is insufficient. I'm sorry, this is hitting me especially hard, not just because of what I've been through. I said I'd mention something at the end here. The day I'm recording this, I found out that Aaron Eisenberg died. That was my morning. Every morning I wake up and I check the news. And, you know, just general news. Mostly gaming news, geek news. To to stay up to date, get things for lore week. And I found out this morning that Aaron Eisenberg died. I've said it before and I've said it again. Death sucks. Whatever else you had at the end of it, death sucks. So, if you'll forgive me, I would like to uh, end this particular rumination in a moment of silence.